We got married, got pregnant and realized, oh my gosh, daycare costs, what? We realized while we were still pregnant that there was no way we would actually be able to afford daycare payments. So that caused us to really look at our budget, start tracking our spending. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Allison Baggerly, founder of Inspired Budget. Allison is a teacher turned blogger, influencer, and speaker. Her story is one of my favorite debt payoff stories because she and her husband worked together to pay off $111,000 of debt on two teacher salaries. No big fancy side hustles or windfalls for mom and dad. It's incredible. And so today, Allison is going to share her story and give us some tips on how anyone can create a plan and reach their money goals. As always, stick around till the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Allison, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Allison for the complete show notes. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Allison, welcome to the Smart Money Mamas show. Hey, Chelsea, thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you on because you have such an inspirational debt story. Can you tell us your journey? Basically, I never really was concerned about debt. I remember whenever I was in college, I would get out student loans and my mom told me, you're going to have to pay those back one day. I was like, shh, mom, be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about. Don't worry about it. I've got this covered. I let these student loans rack up. I got into car debt. I met my husband, who's also a teacher. Little did I know he had $80,000 worth of debt on his own. Oh yeah. We got married, got pregnant and realized, oh my gosh, daycare costs. What? We realized while we were still pregnant that there was no way we would actually be able to afford daycare payments. That caused us to really look at our budget, start tracking our spending, actually write a budget. Actually, we weren't writing a budget before and realized that our issue was that we were sending over $1,400 a month minimum debt payments, not even including our mortgage. We were like, okay, let's do this. We're two teachers. We have a mission. Let's become debt-free and let's do it while our kids are young because then they won't remember missing out on different experiences. So let's go back a second. So (laughs) (laughs) you got pregnant pretty early in your marriage, right? Yes. On our honeymoon. Yep. So right away. Yeah. 24 years old. (laughs) Have you guys talked about money and did you, were you aware of each other's debt at that point? No. You know, we had set up term life insurance months before when we were still engaged. I just remember being like, oh, I have all this or I have these student loans. And he said, well, I have student loans too. And I remember saying, is that a lot? And he said, I don't know. And that was it. That was the extent of our conversations. We had never had conversations about money or paying off debt or even goals for the future. I love that you got term life insurance while you were still engaged. (laughs) That's a smart move. Did you have to up it after you had kids? No, it's still the same. (laughs) Okay. It's still the same. A lot of times people are covering like mortgages and student loans. And then they realize that they need more for childcare and stuff like that. But I love that you were thinking about it early. It's so much cheaper when you're younger. Yes, it really is. Tell me about figuring out that you were pregnant and then how it made you think about money. Something that we hear a lot in our community is I got woken up to how much I had to pay attention to money when I became a parent because now somebody else was in our responsibility. So what was that like for you? For me, I wasn't ready to have kids yet. And I hope my 
oldest doesn't ever hear this, but I just wasn't there. I wasn't mature enough. I was 24 years old. I was wanting to just live with just my my new husband. I wasn't ready to have this extra responsibility. I was happy with the responsibility I had. When I realized, oh my goodness, we can't even afford daycare. This is not what responsibility as a mom looks like. This isn't how I want to raise my kids. It was a lot of fear, a lot of fear of you're not going to be able to provide unless something changes. And I wanted to be able to provide. And so it was very much like this light bulb moment, this you know, I was nauseous. Am I nauseous because I'm scared or is it because of the pregnancy? I have no idea. But I also knew that it would be hard on two teacher salaries. In that moment, I was thinking, oh my gosh, why doesn't one of us have a better paying job? This is impossible. It felt impossible. I talked to other teachers and they were like, oh yeah, no, you're not going to be able to do that. This isn't possible because that's what the world was telling me. I mean, I know teachers in their 40s that still are paying off student loans, right? And so I think that there's this societal expectation that you're just going to be paying them off forever. Yes. (laughs) And that because they're student loans, it's okay. Or because you're a teacher, it's okay. You know, oh, you're a teacher. So of course you're going to have credit card debt. Of course you're going to have car loans because, you know, you're a teacher and you're not paid a lot. And I didn't want to fall into that. I didn't want to fall into that trap. I didn't want to live with those expectations. So you guys figured out how much daycare was going to cost, which sounds like that was the big sticker shock number, which it is for a lot of parents. What other things did you look at to like budget for a new baby? The daycare was the big sticker shock. That number scared me more than our minimum debt payments. That number scared me more than our total debt we had because I was like, how is this possible? We looked at that. We started saving money every single month and I had basically like a baby budget where I could use money to go to garage sales or thrift stores, things to buy for the baby that I knew I would need. We didn't splurge on some of these other new expensive things that other people were getting. When it came to the budget, we actually started writing a budget, which was difficult and took time to get used to because for so many years, we were just living the way we wanted to and going into debt doing it. We started writing a budget and set boundaries with ourselves. For me, that looked like having to change or really come to terms with some of my spending issues that I have. And that writing a budget set boundaries for me, which then had me say, okay, why is it that I want to spend all this money and look deep within about that? So how much debt did you guys have in total when this started? So we had $111,000 total, basically. (laughs) And that doesn't include your mortgage. That did not include our mortgage. That was student loans, car loans. And we had actually paid off my husband's credit card earlier. And we don't even count that in there. And his car. He had very little left over. We had some money in savings. We knocked those out. Then we got pregnant and realized, oh my goodness, we have even more debt that we need to tackle. You mentioned starting a budget for the first time and some of your own spending realizations. And can you tell me, like, what did you start to figure out about your money mindset and maybe about your emotional spending as you went down this road? I definitely struggle with impulse spending. I definitely struggle with emotional spending. And what I realized about myself is that not only do I want to spend money when I'm emotional, whether I'm really happy or I'm really sad or I'm just feeling like I want to give to someone and I want to. I want to make someone else feel happy because I'm an Enneagram too, and I tend to people please. Not only was I doing that, 
But I also wasn't connecting my spending. I almost wasn't connecting it as spending money. So when I would go into Ulta and I would spend $100 or $200, when I go into Target, I didn't feel the pain of the spending. I wasn't tracking my spending. I wasn't writing a budget. I was just like, okay, I'll figure it out. No big deal. And I didn't realize what that spending was doing. What I realized over time was that I was really turning to spending and things and stuff and experiences for happiness that I should, shouldn't be found in that. How did you overcome that? I think this is a really hard issue for so many people, right? And so what were some of the steps you took? Obviously, I'm sure there's things that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also things that, you know, I'm still working on it. This was eight years ago, whenever I really realized this, one of the things that I realized did not work was limiting myself to nothing, almost like just cold turkey on spending. Because what ended up happening is I would do that for a couple of months and then I would just binge spend, I guess, is, you know, I would just binge spend. I would just say, screw the budget, forget you, forget our goals. I'm going to get what I want because I deserve it. I work hard. I'm a good person. I deserve what I want. And I would just go crazy on spending. What worked for me was learning to have an allowance, giving myself money, figuring out that if I want to buy something, I need to save for it. And also muting people on social media that made me want to spend money because I was dealing with issues of jealousy, because I was dealing with issues of comparison. I needed to mute them because I can't control what they're going to put up there. I couldn't control if they were going to talk about their new car or not. So I would mute those people so that those feelings didn't get to me. I love that, clearing out your social media channels. Because even the spending impulses too, but it's also comparison, negative commentary. Anybody who's not serving the person you want to be should absolutely be cleansed. Exactly. Those. It's one of my favorite things to do like once a year is like go through and just delete people. And sometimes media. that looks like muting family members. I mean, I've done that before. I've muted family members because I don't necessarily need to unfriend them. I don't need to unfollow them, but I don't need to see it because if it's not going to add value to my life, then I don't want to see it. Now, for the budget, you're working with a new husband and expecting a baby. And so a lot of people- so a lot of changes at once. A lot of changes at once. And managing money with somebody else for the mm -hmm. first time is a big shift. How did you guys start that conversation? And then were there any roadblocks that you hit as you got started? The good news about starting whenever you're young like this and starting together is that, that we literally started together. We had never budgeted. So when we budgeted, it was together for the first time. He didn't have any of these beliefs about budgeting, and I didn't come with any beliefs about budgeting. We formed them together. So when it comes to that, it was good for us that we started earlier. When it came to budgeting, really, we talked directly about what are our needs, what are our wants, what do we hope for our future, and then what are we willing to do now in the month to help us have a stepping stone or a ladder to get to that point. And a lot of times it looked like cutting back on things like restaurants. It looked like compromising on who's going to cook dinner. I don't like cooking dinner. I don't want to do it every single night. You know, unfortunately, we live in this, this world, this expectation that the woman does the cooking. I was like, that's not going to happen all the time. I need support. If you want to cut back on restaurants, then I, you know, I'm, I'm not a chef. We have to work on it together. And so that's exactly what we did. I, we would assign each other, you know, I would assign him meals to cook during the week. It looked like, 
being willing to cut back on big Christmases and big birthdays for each other so that we could send extra money to debt. And it looked like just making compromises and being willing to say like, okay, I know that this is important for you. We can spend money for that. And he did that for me. He knew I had a spending a spending problem. So I got a larger allowance, monthly allowance than him. That's great. And I think that that comes up. We've actually talked about this before on the podcast where women end up needing slightly bigger spending budgets, even just for haircuts and like the life aspects for women. And that like, it doesn't always have to be equal to be fair. It just has to, you have to figure out what works for you. Exactly. I 100% believe that if one person has a $100 spending limit and the other person has 50, that's okay. Because as long as you stay within your limit, then you are meeting your goals and your budget. I say do what it takes to get there. And so for me, that looked like having a larger spending budget. Now, there was compromise on what it was. I said, I want $100. He said, you can have 20. I was like, no. So, you know, there was there was this compromise because he had to learn what it was like for me having those desires to spend money. So was he more committed to paying off the debt than you were at the beginning? I think we were both equally committed. I just, I struggled more with staying on track with it. So he could see the goal and have the vision and want to get there. Whereas I could see the goal, but then, you know, six months down the line, I would say, well, I want to do this. Let's, everyone's taking these vacations. I want to go on vacation. He was like, no, remember, here's our goal. There were times whenever we would do that, but then I was the person every single month that I wanted to send more money to debt than we did the previous month. I had these competitions with ourselves. You know, if we sent... $1,500 to debt last month, I want to send, you know, $1,600 to debt this month. So I had these competitions with myself during the month to stay motivated, whereas he didn't really care about any of that. That's fantastic. So $111,000. How long did it take you to pay off this debt? It took us four and a half years on two teacher salaries and we grew our family. So we had two kids in there, which meant we would pause and save up as much money as we could to cover all the medical bills. So there were times when we were just paying our minimum. There's teachers listening to this. We have actually a lot of teachers in our audience who have got to be like $111,000 in four years on two teacher salaries. What did you do differently than the other people you were working with? I think that a lot of it came down to we lived on a lot less. We lived very simply compared to what our coworkers lived. We bought a house that was smaller, that was very small compared to what the banks told us we could afford. We lived very simply. I didn't, I wasn't able to decorate my house the way I wanted to. I would go to the Dollar Tree to buy home decorations. We didn't do as much compared to others, but we also had little kids at home. We were lucky in the fact that although we wanted to go out and do all these experiences and go to concerts and travel the world and do all of these things. We also had little kids at home, so we didn't want to leave at the same time. And so even though we were paying for diapers and sometimes formula and some of those daycare expenses, I do think that it actually helped us save money because we were less likely to go out and spend money. We tracked our progress. We lived on less. And then we also, when possible, made extra money here and there. I tutored. My husband drove a school bus whenever he would drive a school bus for band trips, which he was already going on because he was a band director, he would make $50 every single time. He got that certification so that he could make money 
and we taught summer school. So we did extra things and any of that money was sent to debt. We didn't use it for other purposes. When in this journey did you start Inspired Budget? I didn't start Inspired Budget till afterwards. Wow. I know. It <laughs> surprises people. So basically, we finished paying off debt. I became super passionate about budgeting and finances along the way. About nine months, maybe seven to nine months afterwards, I was visiting family for Easter. And I kept talking about budgeting and paying off debt. And my cousin-in-law, she said, Allison, enough. And I was like, excuse me? Did you misspeak? And she was like, no, enough. Like you come every single year, you're talking about this and we're tired of hearing it. You need to take this to a bigger audience. We're not the people you need to be talking about this with. You are clearly passionate about it. You need to start an online business. You need to help others with it because this is clearly a passion of yours, which is not something that ever crossed my mind. Being an entrepreneur never, never came into a thought process at all of what do I want to be when I grow up. It started after we were done with it all because I realized that it was definitely a passion of mine. And I thought when we were in it, when we were working through it, I thought it was only a passion because it was my reality. And I think it's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned the asked this question when you mentioned it, because I think sometimes people see bloggers who've paid off six figures of debt and they're like, well, yeah, you had this online business that paid off your debt. And so they don't feel like they make assumptions. And so you guys really did this on two teacher salaries and some small side hustles. Yes, we really did it on two teacher salaries, small side hustles. I mean, you know, we would make $1,000 from teaching summer school. I would tutor once a week in the summer. It wasn't anything extreme. We weren't making a ton of money. We were just really smart about our choices and then we were also constantly focused on that goal. Even when we didn't want to be con focused on it, even when it wasn't fun, we were still focused on that goal. So tell me about when you made that last payment. What was that like? It was so weird. We actually probably shouldn't have made that last payment because my son had just gotten out of the hospital. He had a surgery that we had planned. So we actually were debt-free about six months later than we thought we were going to be. But my son needed a surgery. He needed it before the age of two. And so we said, okay, we'll pause our debt snowball, save up to cover the surgery, and then we'll continue it. So he's out of, out of the hospital, out of surgery two months later. And I was like, we have enough money in our savings, in our emergency fund. We will have $100 left in our emergency fund once we pay off this debt. Let's do it. I'm sick of it. Let's do it. So we decided to go ahead and pay it off. We didn't have any money to celebrate because we only had $100 in savings. We were living, you know, paycheck to paycheck in our checking account. And then like three days later, we get a medical bill <gasps> in the mail that because we thought we were done paying all the medical bills. I and mean, we were able to cash flow it. It all worked out. But it almost just felt, it felt different because our life had become this journey. Our life had become so simple I used to think, I'm never going to budget after this. I'm never going to save money after this. Once we're done, we're done, and I'm never doing it again. But in four and a half years, your life changes through those habits. It can completely shift your outlook. I was excited to budget. By that time, I was looking forward to it. It was very exciting. It was nerve-wracking, and it just felt like it wasn't our life. In retrospect, would you have waited to pay it off or would you recommend other people wait? I would, I would have waited. <laughs> if okay. I could go back, that was an impulsive decision on my part. I can be impulsive at times. 
that was an impulsive decision because I, I mean, we had just been working on it for so long and here it was, I could taste it. I could feel it. I just wanted it done. I wanted to reach that goal, but we probably should have waited like a month. I mean, we could have just waited two months and it would have been fine. Protect your emergency funds, everybody. Protect your emergency (laughs) fund. Don't do what I did. Unless you do some of the other things I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Do the other things Allison did, just not that one. Now, I want to talk about money goals after a debt journey. But before we do, let's take a quick break to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. We'll be right back. All right, let's get real about something. A life insurance policy and an estate plan are must-haves for parents. We need to make sure our kiddos are taken care of financially and emotionally, no matter what happens. But that's not all we need for a robust emergency plan. Because a will or a life insurance policy doesn't tell our loved ones where the documents are, or how to log into your bank accounts, or even your phone. We created the Family Emergency Binder to fill in all those gaps. You don't have to worry about missing anything. It's all laid out for you in an easy-to-follow, fillable PDF. Make sure your family has everything they need, no matter what, by grabbing your Family Emergency Binder today at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash binder. I think so many people get on these long debt journeys, and that becomes the big scary monster that they're fighting. And when they're done... They want to slip back into old habits. They want to stop budgeting. They want to spend when they want to spend money. When you got to the other side of that, did you set a new goal? So it took us a while. At first, we just kind of lived. We had like three months where we just lived extravagantly or what felt extravagant to us because we were living so simply. And after three months, I was like, what do we have to show for this? Nothing. We don't have anything to show. We just have extra stuff. We've gained weight because we're eating out all the time because now we can after about three months, I said, we need to we need to chill out. We've got to lower it back and we need to start taking this money and sending it to savings because we didn't have a big emergency fund by that point. That's exactly what we did. We set a goal to save for savings, but we also created a separate savings account for our vacation. And that was really helpful. My husband and I took a five nights in Mexico with another couple celebration vacation the following summer to celebrate our hard work, our effort. It was our first big vacation we'd taken since our honeymoon. So it was very exciting for us. Saving money became our new goal. We did become a little bit more lenient on the budget. We increased different areas, but as a whole, we kept living the same way we were before. I totally love it. That's fantastic. And the vacation, celebrating these big milestones is so important, right? And not getting stuck in that scarcity place. I love it so much. You started Inspired Budget. Our audience is going to be upset if I don't ask you, teaching three little kids, starting a business on the side. How did this work? Oh, two little kids. Two little kids and a dog. Two little kids, sorry. We'll count the dog as a kid. It was hard. I'm not going to lie to you. I was actually just, had did another podcast interview where they were asking me about this. And I want to be honest about it. It was really hard. There was a time whenever, you know, I sat down with my husband and he and I were like, something has to go. Something has to be taken off of your plate. I started Inspire Budget in the hopes of within five years being able to leave my full-time teaching job, replacing that income. And we had this conversation about a year, maybe a year and a half in. And I said, just just give me a couple more months. Give me a couple more months. I can do it. About three more months, I had replaced my teaching income from that. And I was able to leave teaching. But we were at the point where something was going to have to give. Either our marriage was going to give or Inspire Budget was going to give. You know, I couldn't do it all. 
I feel like sometimes these people are like, oh, start a blog, you'll make a million dollars. It's so easy. And it's not easy. It's not easy to start a business from the ground up. It takes a lot of passion. It takes a lot of discipline. And something in your life is going to give. I gained 30 pounds. I didn't see my friends anymore. There were moments where I wasn't the best mom. I wasn't the best wife. If I could go back and do it all again, there are things I would definitely change. Well, can you give us an example? For example, I would set clearer boundaries. I didn't have good boundaries when it came to when I would work on my business because I couldn't find time to work on my business. I would wake up early. I work an hour before work. I'd go to work as a teacher for 10 hours a day, get my kids. I wouldn't work out. I didn't make working out a priority. It took time for me to even set date nights with my husband as a priority. I would slow down a little and I would hire out sooner. I felt like I can't hire out. I'm not making enough, but I wish I had hired out sooner. The trade-off of that would be that you wouldn't have been able to leave in less than two years of starting potentially, right? Or do you think that setting some boundaries would have helped? Maybe setting some boundaries would have helped because honestly, how effective was I when I was worn down, tired, cranky, not my best self? And when I'm not my best self, I don't give my best self to my business. No, I think that that's a common thing and partially what I wanted to ask because What I hear over and over again from people, and so I am a massive workaholic and it's a big problem. I'm like still learning how to set those boundaries, but I actually find that I earn more in the business and that things are run smoother when I work less because I pay more attention to things that actually have ROI. I have more energy and I don't feel as guilty about working, right? When I haven't been a good parent, when I haven't been a good partner, then I've got this like narrative running in the back of my head that doesn't let me show up for even what I'm doing. And so- I love the idea of boundaries. That's a great idea. For parents who are listening, who are still early in their debt journey, what's the first thing you would recommend they do? I recommend that you start tracking your expenses. I am a firm believer that when you are an expert in your finances, you can make change and that you don't have to be an expert in finances to become an expert in your finances. And when you're tracking your expenses and your spending, you start seeing habits. You cannot ignore the habits that you're facing. So for instance, some of my habits were too many Starbucks runs. Maybe they were impulse shopping. I clearly had issues with Target and I could not ignore it when I tracked it. When I was tracking my spending, it was clear, it was obvious, it stood out to me. But for years before that, I could ignore the problem because it wasn't there on paper in the form of numbers and data. And so when you're tracking your expenses, you will be able to find ways to cut back on some of your expenses, even your monthly bills, so that you can take some extra money and send it towards debt. How do you recommend or how what works for you for how you budget and how you spend money? I budget every single paycheck. My husband and I are paid twice a month. And what I do is a couple days before payday, I write a budget. I track everything, every single penny I spend in Quicken. And I've used it for over eight years. It allows me to see exactly where our money is going because sometimes that's how I catch that maybe we've had a fraud that our car- credit card inf- or that our debit card information has somehow been stolen. It's really easy, whereas sometimes those things would actually go unnoticed. For years, actually, no, not for years. For almost a year, my husband was paying for a gym membership he didn't even know he had because he wasn't tracking his spending. $40 a month for almost a year. 
once we were tracking our spending, we could see that those things were happening. And my thing is find something that works for you, whether it's paper and pencil, whether it's an app, whether it's a software program, the whole idea is finding something that you can consistently keep up with and that you feel confident doing. Because when you're tracking those expenses, you're able to see those patterns and it makes writing a budget easier because you can look back and what did I spend on gas last month? I'm kind of, you know, I used to guess. I used to say, well, maybe we'll spend this much. Making those guesses isn't going to help you write a better budget. But when you can actually look back at the facts and see how much money you spent on gas last month, then you can actually budget a realistic amount for the future. And I love those budget tools. So pen and paper has its benefits, right? It's like really good for our brains to process, but we've always used YNAB. I've actually used it since my very first job 10 years ago or whatever it was. I like the reports because even some people are like, oh, $40 a month, at least it wasn't more than that. But you get to see that over 10 months has $400 and then everything gets a little bit more real when you get to run those things. Do you use cash or cards? We use cash and cards. It depends. Right now, we're recording this. There's that coin shortage and everything going on. So we are using cards. But I have found, as someone who has issues with spending money, that cash works well for me only in those areas where I tend to overspend. So for us, that looks like groceries. Because I used to walk into the grocery store, walk up and down every single aisle and just say, oh, this looks nice, throw it in my cart. Oh, this looks nice, throw it in my cart. And what happened was I would waste food because I wasn't going in with a plan, I would impulse spend at the grocery store. So we use cash for groceries, we use cash for restaurants. I have my spending money in cash and my husband has spending money in cash. Those are basically our main cash categories. Sometimes, oh, we pay our kids allowance in cash as well because clearly they don't have a card. (laughs) How old are your kids? Eight and six. My boys are four and two. And we're talking about maybe around eight or 10 doing the green light allowance cards. I really like the concept of teaching them how to think that way. But it's great that you've identified what categories you have issues with. We tried cash for a couple of months. But for me, I don't know. It's like Monopoly money to me where uh, I'm like, <laughs> I'm just like, well, no one's going to count this. So I'm just oh, going like, to just, just spend it all at one time. It's just like, oh, this is no problem. But I don't do that at all with cards because it, it's going to come into the statement and oh, I'm going to have to look at okay. it. But yeah, for some people, I know it's a major benefit to really have to physically hand over the cash and see how it works. For me, it's not even that. It's having the boundary. It's not even that, like, it doesn't pain me to hand over, you know, $150 at the grocery store. It's the boundary of, I have to count afterwards and say, oh my gosh, I only have $200 left and I have two weeks. I better get scrappy. I better get scrappy to buy $200, you know, $200 worth of groceries for two weeks. And that includes everything, our household, everything. I have to get scrappy. And so for me, it's being able to physically see the leftover and I'm not able to ignore it. Because if it was left to me, because I love spending so much, I would choose to ignore it and then just say, oh, that's okay. I'll do better next month. And I would keep spending because it's just those small purchases that add up over time. People have tracked their spending. They've gone back and they've actually looked at it and they're going to try to set a budget. What's the next thing they should do? So they track their spending, they set a budget. So I would definitely say make those debt payments. And I like to make the debt payments or whenever I was in debt, I liked to make the debt payments at the beginning before they were due because if I waited until the due date, I would somehow spend some of the money. If I had, it would just magically disappear. I don't know what happened to it. And that goes back to setting those boundaries. 
We would get paid when we were working our way to get out of debt. We got paid once a month on the same day. So I would pay all of our bills and make all of our debt payments. And anything left in our checking account was what we had to live off of. If I had waited until the end of that month to make our debt payments, I would be making the minimum payments every single time. I would say make those debt payments. As long as you have a good amount of money in savings for emergencies, you don't have to worry about, oh, but what if I need that money? Instead, make those debt payments right away. That way it's done and you've held yourself accountable to that goal you set. And that's a good point to bring up. So when you've tracked your spending and done the budget, even if you have debt, what emergency fund do you recommend people try to save up for before they start tackling the debt? I would definitely recommend at least three months of three months of an emergency fund. And your three months emergency fund doesn't need to include Netflix. It doesn't need to include Hulu. It needs to include those necessary items. So it's going to look different than your regular budget. You might spend normally $5,000 a month, but your emergency budget might only be $4,000 a month because you can cut back on restaurants. You can cut back on, on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, those types of things that are not necessary. So I would take that amount, multiply it by three, and that's your goal. If 2020 has taught us anything, if the world has taught us anything, it's that it's so good to have that in place, even though it means you're postponing your debt-free payoff. It's okay. You'll get there. This is a season, and the season will end eventually. And I want to ask a teacher-specific question here. Did you get paid through the summer? I actually was talking about this with my friend Chris the other day. I did get paid through the summer. Here in Texas, they take your income that you earn in 10 months and they break it up over a 12-month period. If that is not happening, if you're not, if you're a teacher and you're getting paid for 10 months only for 10 months and you don't have income during that summertime, then I would open up a separate savings account and automatically have it take out whatever it is that you need for that period of time. I know some sta- every state does it differently. Like sometimes you only get the 10 months and sometimes you have a choice. Like I think in New Jersey, you can actually like check whether you want to get a 10 month paycheck oh. or a 12 month paycheck. So everybody, it's a little bit different, but that does play into debt payoff because you got to plan exactly. for that summer if you're not getting paid. You have to plan for it for sure. But I'm, I'm honestly thankful that in Texas, they don't give you a choice because I think poor little Allison, first year teacher right out of college, I still wasn't aware about budgeting, wasn't aware about my money. I would have found myself come June and July saying, oh my gosh, I have no money. I think a lot of people still end up in that place. Yes, they do. How do you order the debt payoffs? Did you do the snowball? Did you do an avalanche method? How did you tackle your debt? So for us, we actually did the snowball because none of our debts were high interest rates. Our debts all varied between two to 6%. For our family, it worked to do the debt snowball method. However, I'm a big fan of definitely paying off some of those higher interest debts first, especially if they are super high, those high credit cards, or creating a plan that works for you. I worked with someone who her and her husband were pregnant. They were kind of in the same situation we were in. They didn't have the money to make a $900 daycare payment nine months down the road or eight months down the road. And so we actually ordered their debt payoff to pay off those larger minimum payments. They paid off like a $400 minimum payment loan that was maybe a lower balance so that we could free up that cash flow. So I definitely think that there's no right way that you just have to find what's right for you. I also like the big scary monster method, which we had another guest that talked about, which was like whatever debt freaks you out (sighs) the most 
pay it off first because then the rest of them will seem easy mm -hmm. if you've tackled that. So creating whatever your order makes sense for you. But the snowball is great, especially when you're early in your money journey, I think, and like getting those those wins. Yes. And I think that's what our family needed. That's what my husband and I needed at the time because we felt so scared and because we had no idea what we were doing the moment we paid off that first debt it was very exhilarating it was very exciting I thought okay we can do this this is possible and it just gives you that vote of confidence how did you guys track the process oh I wish we had tracked it better you know whenever we did it I had no idea that I was going to be doing this we had a debt thermometer I made it on Microsoft Word and I would literally color it in we hung it in our master closet because I wanted to see it every single day, but I didn't want anyone else to see it. And no one goes into your master closet usually. So every couple of months, I would shade it in a little bit here and there. But unfortunately, I don't even have records of any of my payoff statements or anything like that. I, I was just excited and I threw them away because I had no idea that I would be starting a business. <laughs> but I love the visual tracker. I think that that can be such a good reminder and especially when you have things that set you back, like it sounds like your son's surgery delayed your goal a little bit. You could still look at the thermometer and be like, okay, but we've still paid we've off come a ton this of debt. Far. Yes. Any other pieces of advice, Allison, for moms, maybe with a lower income paying off debt? I would say just try to focus on the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal doesn't have to be to be debt free. Your goal doesn't have to have anything to do with debt. Your goal could be to have peace and security with money. Your goal could be to have a different life that maybe you weren't able to grow up with when it comes to finances. Your goal could be to feel confident and know what you're doing when it comes to your money and to be able to do things that you never thought were possible. Your goal doesn't have to be anything about debt or your student loans or credit cards at all. So I would say focus on that ultimate goal, especially when it gets hard, especially when you want to impulse spend, when you're thinking, I want to go on this trip and I want to just drop $5,000 to go to Disney World. You know, we all get to those moments and then just go back to that goal that's bigger than being debt free. Fantastic. Thanks, Allison. That was that was perfect. But before we let you go, we have to do a silly thing. We have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. Okay. So the sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? I'm ready. What's your number one hack as a work from home mom? <sighs> Coffee. It's not... <laughs> It's six cups of coffee before 10 a.m. It is coffee. <laughs> Do you have a favorite kind of coffee? I drink community coffee. It's uh, based out of Louisiana. But whatever has the most caffeine in it, um, <laughs> coffee. And then my eight-year-old is old enough to warm up my coffee for me. So whenever I need my coffee warmed up because I haven't drank it fast enough, I give it to him. He can go put it in the microwave and heat my coffee up for me and deliver it back for me. I call him my barista. <laughs> That's excellent training. I have to tell you, I don't drink coffee at all. And a year or so ago, I was tired. I was trying to work. I actually think for the Mama's Talk Money Summit, I was like, I'm going to run through Starbucks. And I didn't know anything about coffee. And I'm like, I'm just going to get a latte because I naively thought that somehow a latte was just coffee with milk. But I didn't know it had espresso in it. Yeah. <laughs> so like an hour later, I'm like twitching 
tweaking out. I call my mom and she's like, well, it had espresso. So oh that's my probably gosh. why you're... How funny. So now I'm a little bit more careful about what... That's good. But <laughs> yeah. no, I, I mean, I literally... Like, it's probably not healthy. Please don't send me a DM about it. But yes, I have about... About six to eight cups of coffee a day. I used to have 10, so this is progress. Hey, you're making progress. Mm -hmm. Big goals. All right. (laughs) Allison, we're going to see you at the Mama Stock Money Summit in just a couple of weeks. But before that, where can our listeners follow you and hear more about your work? So you can follow me on Instagram at Inspired Budget. And since you're already listening to a podcast, you can head on over to This Is Awkward. It's a podcast that I have with a co-host, Chris Browning, and I think you're going to love it. Chris is great. So that podcast is a lot of fun, guys. Definitely check that out. Allison, thanks so much for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. Mamas, I love Allison. It's so cool to hear a story of someone paying off that much debt on a lower income and hear from someone who is so honest about their own money struggles. It's amazing that Allison has learned how to handle her emotional spending and built a system that has worked for her and so many others. Though I'm jittery just thinking about all the coffee she drinks. Now, as always, I wrapped up my three favorite takeaways from this chat with Allison that you can carry into your own money journey. First, you can pay off debt on a lower income. So many headlines and news stories focus on these unicorn debt payoff journeys. The couple who pays off $200,000 in nine months, but then you find out they make $600,000 a year or got some big inheritance. As absurd as some of these stories are to the average family, don't let them discourage you from thinking you can pay off your debt. You can. Allison and her husband were both teachers. They did some extra tutoring and picked up jobs around school, like driving the band bus, but they didn't do anything fancy. Instead, they tracked their spending, learned how to be frugal, set goals, and worked on their debt consistently. And they paid off $111,000. You can handle your debt, too. Second, you need to pay attention to your spending. Fortunately or unfortunately, there's no getting around this. As Allison mentioned, when they didn't track their spending, those small $5 or $10 expenses didn't seem like a big deal. But when they looked at them all together, they were a big impact. And while reviewing your spending once can make you aware of some of those things that add up, you have to keep tracking if you actually want to cut back on them. Because those emotional and habitual expenses, they sneak up on us, especially when we're tired, stressed, or overwhelmed. Find a budgeting system that works for you. I use and love, you need a budget. Allison uses Quicken. Some people swear by pen and paper. But find a system that works for you and stick to it. I promise, even once you've done it for a while and feel like you don't need to budget anymore, as soon as you stop tracking, your expenses will go up. And chances are you'll be spending money on things that don't actually bring you any more joy. So finally, your goals and methods should be unique to you. I just mentioned this a second ago with the different budgeting methods available, but Allison made such a good point about all of us needing to find the money systems that work for us. When we think about systems and routines, I think we sometimes start to believe we're robots that just need the right programming. But all of our lives run a little bit differently. Our personalities are all different. Learn from experts like Allison and I. Try different apps and strategies. But tweak what you learn to fit who you are. You know yourself best. And having your strategies fit who you are will make creating long-term change so much easier. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Allison again for coming on the show and sharing her incredible debt freedom story. 
You can find links to visit her site and see more of her work, as well as download your free Meaningful Money Goal Kickstart Guide in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Allison. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time. Bye.